Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. Common Denominator of Success uh, was written by Albert Ian Gray. It's a speech um, that I was introduced to um, when I was studying success, and it really boils down uh, the idea here that we're of what high expectations look like in practice and how to really turn a vision into reality. It is um, a lesson that I share with all of my um, uh, highest-end students, and I have for over 16 years now. Uh, So I'm going to get into this, and I'm going to read the speech to you, and as I do that, I'm going to explain what it is in the teaching as I go along. The common denominator of success, the secret of success of every man who has ever been successful lies in the fact that he formed the habit of doing things that failures don't like to do. The common denominator of success is as timely and inspirational as it was when it was first delivered in 1940. Though it was written for life insurance professionals, its message is equally well-suited to anyone in the sales profession or anyone in any field of endeavor who seek success in their professional, personal, or spiritual lives. This inspiring message by Mr. Gray is one of the most timeless pieces of life insurance literature. It first appeared as a major address at the, at the 1940 NL, NALU, which is the National Association of Life Underwriters and Annual Convention in Philadelphia, and has been available to association members in pamphlet form ever since. Although our author has passed away, his words of wisdom and moving philosophy so manifest in the common denominator of success are part of the current life insurance scene and have real meaning for today's professional life underwriter. Mr. Gray was an official of the Prudential Insurance Company of America, and had 30 years of continuous experience both as an agent in the field and as a promoter and instructor instructor in, in sales development. He was known throughout the country as a writer and speaker on life insurance subjects. Several years ago, I was brought face to face with the very disturbing realization that I was trying to supervise and direct efforts of a large number of men who were trying to achieve success without knowing myself what the secret of success really was. And that naturally brought me face to face with the further realization that regardless of what other knowledge I might have brought to my job, I was definitely lacking the most important knowledge of all. Of course, like most of us, I had been brought up on the popular belief that the secret to success is hard work. But I had seen so many men work hard without succeeding, and so many men succeed without working hard, that I had become convinced that hard work was not the real secret, even though in most cases it might be one of the requirements. And 
So I set out on the voyage of discovery, which carried me through biographies and autobiographies of all sorts of dissertations on success and the lives of successful men, until I finally reached a point at which I realized that the secret that I was trying to discover lay not only in what men did, but also in what made them do it. Now, that, that part of this is so very important. Not only what they did, but what actually made them do it. And one of the things throughout all of the uh, teachings that we're doing here is there's part of what it is that you do, but a big part on what it is that is making you do something or actually making you not do something. That's why this common denominator of success is so very important. He goes on to say this, I realized further that the secret for which I was searching must not only apply to every definition of success, but since it must apply to everyone to whom it was offered, it must also apply to everyone whom had ever been successful. Now, that means that this applies to every single person who has ever been successful throughout of history, throughout history, it must also apply to you and for you to set high expectations and for you to achieve the greatness that you want. He says, but this common denominator of success is so big, so powerful, and so vitally important to your future and mine that I'm not going to make a speech about it. I'm going to lay it on the line in words of one syllable so simple that everyone can understand them. The common denominator of success, the secret of success of every person who has ever been successful, lies in the fact that they formed the habit of doing things that failures don't like to do. Now, that, that's the sentence right there. They formed the habit of doing things that failures don't like to do. So here's the important point here. The key word is habit. In other words, when you want to be great, you have to habitually do great things and the correct things over and over and over again. When you, now, what's important about a habit? A habit is when we no longer have to think about doing something, right? Again, we're talking about we're moving um, an idea of something that we have to do from our conscious mind to our subconscious mind so that we don't have to think about doing it anymore. We just habitually do it. It is something that we do all the time. Success literally becomes a habit. He says, and they formed this habit, that the, the things that we're going to talk about in a, in a minute here, um, and they're all the things that people that are failures or people that just live in mediocrity don't want to do. That's very important. They don't want to do them. It's not just that they don't do them. They don't want to do them. So what, does, what is that really saying? That's a clue. That's a clue for you. It's a clue for me. It's a clue for everyone, right? This is about success 
in everywhere of your life, okay? You think about it like this, right? Yes, we understand that there's things that we have to do to be successful. And we also, based on the law of cause and effect, which we've talked about, right? We also understand that based on the results that we're getting in our life, if we're not getting the results that we want, we're obviously not doing the things to get those results. But this takes it one step further. This is actually talking about things that not only do they not do, but they don't like to do. So when you find yourself looking at your own success in life, and you come to the awareness that there's something you don't like to do that is a key thing that must be done for you to have success, that's a huge breakthrough. Because most people aren't aware of the fact that they don't like to do it. They just don't like to do it. And there's a difference between not liking to do something and really becoming aware that you don't like to do it. Because once you become aware that you don't like to do it, you can then change it. It is not natural, and I'm going to say this again, it is not natural for you not to like to do something, okay, that actually brings you success because your purpose in life is to have success. You do not see anywhere in nature where nature is successful the contemplation of whether they like to do what makes them successful or not. So think about that because it's a real huge awareness. Okay, so he continues. It's just as true as it sounds and just as simple as it seems. You can hold it up to the light. You can put it to the acid test. You can kick it around until it's worn out. But when you are all through with it, it will still be the common denominator of success, whether you like it or not. It will still explain why men have come into this business of ours with every apparent qualification for success and given us our most disappointing failures, while others have come in and achieved outstanding success in spite of many obvious and discouraging handicaps. And since it will also explain your future, it would seem to be a mighty good idea for you to use it in determining just what sort of future you're going to have. In other words, let's take this big, all-embracing secret and boil it down to fit the individual you. If the secret of success lies in forming the habit of doing things that failures don't like to do, let's start the boiling down process by determining what are the things that failures don't like to do. The things that failures don't like to do are the very things that you and I and other human beings, including successful men, naturally don't like to do. In other words, we've got to realize right from the start that success is something which is achieved by the minority of people and is therefore unnatural and not to be achieved by following natural likes and dislikes nor by being guided by our natural preferences and prejudices. Now, I want to explain something here. When he's talking about natural, we're not talking about spiritual. We're not talking about 
what we were born with. He's literally talking about how we're programmed to be in life. That is the natural thing. So we're yet yeah, we are bo- spiritually we're born to be a success, but we're po- we're programmed to be natural or another word we could put in there is normal, right? How normal society lives with the mediocrity, the 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 acceptance of the rules, the acceptance of uh, the suppression of the way that we would express ourselves in a way that is, you know, uniquely our, our own in life, right? The things that failures don't like to do in general are too obvious to discuss them here. And so since our success is to be achieved in the sale of life insurance, let us move on to the discussion of things that we as life insurance people don't like to do. Here, too, the things that we don't like to do are too many to permit specific discussion. But I think that they can all be disposed of by saying that they all emanate from one basic dislike peculiar to our type of selling. We don't like to call on people who don't want to see us and talk to them about something that they don't want to talk about. Any reluctance to follow a definite prospecting program to use prepared sales talks, to organize time, and to organize effort are all caused by this one basic dislike. And guess what? That basic dislike is something that has nothing to do with life insurance as an industry in and of itself. It has to do with relationships. It has to do with all of business. It has to do with all of life. It has to do with all of success. Why? Because the one thing that is common with life insurance people and success anywhere is communication. We first learn how to communicate with ourselves. Second, we learn how to communicate with other people. So if we're communicating from a paradigm, if we're, if we're, or if we're not communicating, like we're afraid to communicate with ourselves, and how would we be afraid to do that? By being honest with ourselves. That would be a fear of communicating with ourself. The fear of communicating with other people, whether it is the fear of rejection, the fear of looking inadequate, the fear of being foolish, the fear of failure alone would stop us from wanting to talk or have the kind of interaction with other people that would actually set us free and have the success that we want. He says, Perhaps you have wondered what is behind this peculiar lack of welcome on the part of prospective buyers. Isn't it due to the fact that our prospects are human too? And isn't it true that the average human uh, being is not big enough to buy life insurance of his own accord and is therefore prone to escape our efforts to make him bigger or persuade him to do something that he doesn't want to do by striking at the most important weakness that we possess? namely our desire to be appreciated? Perhaps you have been discouraged by a feeling that you were born subject to certain dislikes peculiar to you with which the successful men in our business are not afflicted. Perhaps you have wondered why it is that our biggest producers seem to like to do the things that you don't like to do. They don't. And I think this is the most encouraging statement that I've ever offered a group of insurance salesmen uh, before. But if they don't like to do these things, then why do they do them? 
Because by doing the things that they don't like to do, they can accomplish the things that they want to accomplish. Successful people are influenced by the desire for pleasing results. Okay, now I'm going to say that again. Successful people are influenced by the desire for pleasing results. Now check out this next statement. Failures are influenced by the desire for pleasing methods and are inclined to be satisfied with such results as can be attained by doing things that they actually like to do, right? So one is looking for a pleasing result. The other one is looking for a pleasing method. In other words, I only want to do what feels good in the time. People who are successful are willing to break through that paradigm and do what is actually uncomfortable in the moment so that they can get the result that they actually want in life. Why are successful people able to do things that they don't like to do while failures are not? Because successful people have a purpose strong enough to make them form the habit of doing things that they don't like to do in order to accomplish the purpose that they want to accomplish. Sometimes even our best producers get into a slump. When a person goes into a slump, it simply means that he has reached a point at which, for the time being, the things he doesn't like to do have become more important than his reasons for doing them. And may I pause to suggest to you managers and general agents that when one of your good producers goes into the slump, the less that you talk about his production, the more you talk about his purpose, the sooner that you will pull him out of the slump. Many people with whom I have discussed this common denominator of success have said at this point, but I have a family to support and I have to have a living for my family and myself. Isn't that enough of a purpose? Now this is so important what he's, what he's saying here. That basically he's saying that the natural responsibilities of life, in a, if you were talking in a, uh, a logical, responsible conversation with someone, shouldn't that be enough to get a person to do what is necessary to be successful? And here's what his response is. No, it isn't. It isn't a sufficiently strong purpose to make you form the habit of doing the things that you like to do for the very simple reason that it is just easier to adjust ourselves to the hardships of poor living than it is to adjust ourselves to the hardships of making a better one. If you doubt me, just think of all the things that you're willing to go without in life in order to avoid doing the things that you don't like to do. All of which seem to prove that the strength which holds you to your purpose is not your own strength, but the strength of the purpose itself. Now think about when we talked about Thomas Troward's idea of getting into the spirit of the thing. He's talking about aligning yourself with the purpose and the desire that we've been talking about for over a year here, in that it has a power that naturally harmonizes with the inner spirit of you and the inner spirit of life to bring you to the desire and the fulfillment of the success that you want. He said, now let's see why habit belongs so importantly in this common denominator of success. Men are creatures of habit, 
just as machines are creatures of momentum. For habit is nothing more or less than momentum translated from the concrete into the abstract. Can you picture the problem that would face our mechanical engineers if there was no such thing as momentum? Speed would be impossible because the highest speed at which any vehicle could be moved would be the first speed at which it could be broken away from a standstill. Elevators could not be made to rise, airplanes could not be made to fly, and the entire world of mechanics would find itself in a total state of helplessness. Then, who are you and I to think that we can do with our own human nature what the finest engineers in the world could not do with the finest machinery that was ever built? Every single qualification for success is acquired through habit. Men form the habits, and habits form futures. If you do not deliberately form good habits, then unconsciously you will form bad ones. You are the kind of person you are because you have formed the habit of being that kind of person. And the only way that you can change is through habit. In other words, you form the habit, and then through the habit comes the change. The success habits in life insurance selling are divided into four main groups. Number one, prospecting habits. Number two, calling habits. Number three, selling habits. Number four, working habits. Now, I want you to pause the recording for a moment, and I want you to write down the four main habits that are going to bring about the success that you seek in your life. Here we're talking about life insurance, okay? Some of you may be in business, and I will tell you what, if you're in business, these habits apply to every business because prospecting is nothing more than marketing. Calling is the contacting. Selling is selling, period. Whether you're selling from the stage, you're selling face-to-face, you're selling belly-to-belly, it doesn't matter how you're selling, selling is selling. And number four is working, which is calendaring the work, the, having the ethic that it takes to produce the results of the first three. So let's discuss these habits, uh, these habit groups in their order. Any successful life insurance salesman will tell you that it's easier to sell life insurance to people who don't want it than it is to find people who do want it. But if you have not deliberately formed the habit of prospecting for needs regardless of wants, then unconsciously you have formed the habit of limiting your prospecting to people who want life insurance, and therein lies the one and only real reason uh, for lack of prospects. In other words, whenever we have a lack of something in our life, it is because we are looking through a lens of what is easy versus the lens of what it is that we don't want to do. As to selling habits, or excuse me, as to calling habits, unless you have deliberately formed the habit of calling on people who are able to buy but unwilling to listen, then unconsciously you have formed the habit of calling on people who are willing to listen but unable to buy. As to selling habits, unless you have deliberately formed the habit of calling on prospects determined to make them 
see their reasons for buying life insurance, then unconsciously you have formed the habit on calling on prospects in a state of mind in which you are willing to let them make you see their reasons for not buying. And we've talked about this many times. That is nothing more than stepping into the story of the person of the reason why they can't do something. And if you are in your story of the reason why you can't do something, you will automatically step into the story of the reason why the person that you're talking to can't do something. Now, as to working habits, if you will take care of the other three groups, the working habits will generally take care of themselves because under working habits are included study and preparation, organization of time and efforts, records, analysis, etc. Certainly, you're not going to take the trouble to, um, to learn interest-arousing approaches, interesting-arousing approaches and sales talks unless you're going to use them. You're not going to plan your day's work when you know that in your heart you're not going to carry out your plans, and you're certainly not going to keep an honest record of things you haven't done or uh, of results that you haven't achieved. So let's not worry much about the fourth group of success habits, for if you're going to take care of the first three groups, most of the working habits will take care of themselves, and you will be able to afford an assistant to take care of the rest of them for you. But before you decide to adopt these success habits, let me warn you of the importance of the habit to your decision. I have attended many sales meetings and sales congresses during the past 10 years and have often wondered why, in spite of the fact that there is so much good in them, so many men seem to get so so little good out of them. Perhaps you have attended sales meetings in the past and have left determined to do things that would make you successful or more successful only to find your decision or determination waning at just the time when it should be put into effect or into practice? Here's the answer. Any resolution or decision that you make is simply a promise to yourself, which isn't worth a tinker's damn unless you have formed the habit of making it and keeping it. And you won't form the habit of making it and keeping it unless right at the start you link it with a definite purpose that can be accomplished by keeping it. In other words, any resolution or decision that you make today has to be made again tomorrow and the next day and the next and the next and so on. And it, is, it not only has to be made each day, but it has to be kept each day. For if you miss one day in the making or the keeping of it, you've got to go back and to begin all over again. But if you continue the process of making it each morning and keeping it each day, you will finally wake up some morning a different person in a different world, and you will wonder what has happened to you and the world that you used to live in. And I can tell you uh, through my own practice and through all the people that I've worked with, this is absolutely 100% true. The great thing about it is, is that, like he says, if you keep this every day, it will happen sooner than later. Most people think that it will actually take a very long time. That is not true. It does not have to take a long time. 
What takes a long time is when you don't keep the habit of doing it each day. Because like he said, we literally set ourselves backwards, then we have to start all over again. And one of the things that takes a long time in the starting over again is to finding the right inspiration to get yourself to start all over again. But once we do it, we actually gain the momentum. And if we stay in the spirit of it, like Thomas Trower said, the inspiration to do so comes from within the work of actually doing it because we actually see ourselves succeeding. Here is what happened. Your resolution or decision has become a habit and you don't have to make it on this particular morning. And the reason for your seeming like a different person living in a different world lies in the fact that for the first time in your life, you have become the master of yourself and the master of your likes and dislikes by surrendering to your purpose in life. Now, it's an interesting word that he uses here. It's called surrendering. That, when you surrender to your purpose in life, it means that you give up the idea of whether you're going to do it or not. And you accept the fact that your purpose comes with very specific things that you have to do to fulfill that purpose. And you become automatically willing to do whatever it takes to do it. Hence, do the things that failures don't like to do. That is why behind every success, there must be a purpose. And that is what makes purpose so important to your future. For in the last analysis, your future is not going to depend on economic conditions or outside influences or circumstances over which you absolutely have no control. Your future is going to depend on your purpose in life. So let's talk about purpose. First of all, your purpose must be practical and not visionary. In other words, yes, you have to have a vision, but it has to be able to be put into practical application. That's what he's talking about. If it's just a vision, it does nothing. If there's no practical application to your vision, then it's not worth anything. Some time ago, I talked to a man who thought that he had a purpose which was more important to him than income. Now think about what he's saying here. He was interested in the sufferings of his fellow man. In other words, he wanted to change the world. And he wanted to be in a place, in a position to alleviate that suffering. But when he analyzed his real feeling, we discovered, and he admitted it, that what he really wanted was a really nice job, dispensing charity with other people's money, and being well paid for it, along with the appreciation and the feeling of importance that would naturally go with such a job. But by making your purpose practical, be careful not to make it logical. Make it a purpose of the sentimental or emotional type. Remember, needs are logical while wants and desires are sentimental and emotional. Um, your needs will push you just so far, but when your needs are satisfied, they will stop pushing you. If, however, your purpose is in terms of wants and desires, then your wants and desires will push you long after your needs are satisfied. And until your wants and desires are fulfilled, pause it. So what I want to do is I want to reread this paragraph one more time because it's so vitally important. He says, 
But in making your purpose practical, be careful not to make it logical. Make it a purpose of sentimental or emotional type. Remember, needs are logical, while wants and desires are sentimental and emotional. Your needs will push you just so far, but when your needs are satisfied, they will stop pushing you. If, however, your purpose is in terms of wants and desires, then your wants and desires will keep pushing you long after your needs are satisfied and until your wants and desires are actually fulfilled. Now, recently, I was talking with a young man who long ago discovered the common denominator of success without identifying his discovery. He had a definite purpose in life, and it was definitely a sentimental or emotional purpose. He wanted his boy to go through college without having to work his way through as he had done. He wanted to avoid for his little girl the hardships which his own sister had had to face in her childhood. And he wanted his wife and his mother of his children to enjoy the luxuries and comforts and even necessities which had been denied his own mother. And he was willing to perform the habit of doing things that he didn't like to do in order to accomplish his purpose. Now, not to discourage him, but rather to have him encourage me, I said to him, aren't you going a little too far with this thing? There's no logical reason why your son shouldn't be willing and able to work his way through college just as his father did. Of course, he will miss many of the things that you missed in your college life, and he'll probably have heartaches and disappointments. But if he's any good, he'll come out in the end just as you did. And there's no logical reason why you should slave in order that your daughter may have the things which your own sister wasn't able to have or in order that your own wife can enjoy comforts and luxuries that she wasn't used to before she married you. He looked at me with rather a pitying look and said, but Mr. Gray, there's no inspiration in logic. There's no courage in logic. There's not even happiness in logic. There's only satisfaction. The only place logic has in my life is in the realization that the more I'm willing to do for my wife and children, the more I shall be able to do for myself. Imagine after hearing that story, you won't have to be told how to find your purpose or how to identify it or surrender to it. If it's a big purpose, you will be big in its accomplishment. And if it's an unselfish purpose, you will be unselfish in accomplishing it. And if it's an honest purpose, you will be honest and honorable in the accomplishment of it. But as long as you live, don't ever forget that while you may succeed beyond your fondest hopes and your greatest expectations, you will never succeed beyond the purpose to which you are willing to surrender. Furthermore, your surrender will not be complete until you have formed the habit of doing things that failures don't like to do. And that's where he ends the speech. And that is the common denominator of success. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash 
free stuff.